Um, today, uh, we've, we've been in a series of, of messages uh, that we called Who Needs Church? Who Needs Church? And uh, I really enjoyed the series. I've enjoyed doing the research for the series or reading some of that. I did some research, but there's people that helped me with that as well. And, and I enjoyed reading through the research because uh, f- several months ago, really, God began to stir my heart in, in kind of a particular way. And I'm really, so today's very different. If you're, if you're new, you'll have to come next weekend to the birthday. That'll be different in a cool way or the next weekend. So today I'm just going to share some things really from my heart with you. But God began to stir um, in me um, some things pertaining to the generations. And, um, and we, we have children's ministry and we have student ministry and, and we have good ministry. I feel like we have good leaders, we have good pastors. Um, but I just, there was a burden. Um, and as we've explored this topic of who needs church, we've, we've kind of talked about our national trends. And, and our national trends, you know, are that people are kind of moving away from church. They're, they're moving out of, of church. And there's a lot of different reasons we found out. It's, some of it is I just don't feel like it's relevant. Some of it is I want to explore spirituality on my, on my own. I don't want someone telling me. Some of it is because their, their questions haven't been welcomed. Um, some of it because judgment and condemnation and criticism. And, you know, there's all these different reasons. But, but what we know is that the trend is that, that as of today, uh, 55% of people claim, I'm sorry, 79% of people claim to have some sort of faith affiliation in our country, but only 55% of them actually attend a church or a synagogue. Um, the average person attends church about uh, three times every eight weeks, about three times every eight weeks. And, and so, and, and some of that's true um, in in our church. Now, what I've noticed is when you look at the generations, our our baby boomers, our boomers are probably the most faithful to attend church, but they're also the ones that were raised with that value, right? That you go to church, you go to church first. The boomers, as they were raised, um, a lot of businesses weren't even open on Sundays. That was the Lord's day. And so there was a value there. And so coming out of that value, they've, they've held true to that. When you get into to my generation, the generation that's after the boomers, the, the Xers, I guess, is what we are. But, but when you get to us, um, then, then there's still, we, we see in that generation, there's still um, more of a bending or leaning towards attending church being a part of a church, that, that there's a, that at least a concept that if I'm a believer, I should be affiliated with some type of denomination or church. Um, when you get into the millennials, um, then, then it gets a little bit more cloudy. Um, but then, then you get all the way to Generation Z, um, which is your... Um, Four, four, ages four to 22. Gener- a lot of, let me just clear that up. I, I think a lot of church people are calling Generation Z millennials and they're not. They're, they're a different thing. They're, and and um, Generation Z doesn't remember 9-11. Uh, they also kind, kind of about the time they were learning uh, economics, politics, and all that was the, the, the recession of 2008, 2009, that kind of thing. And, and so Generation Z, they, they're looking for different things. They manage their money differently. They don't like debt. Uh, Generation 
Generation Z actually tries to stay away from debt, where millennials were, were more open to financing and going into to more debt. Millennials want to go farther, faster. Uh, Generation Z, they're looking for more stability in the workplace. They're looking for relationship in the workplace. Generation Z, um, the average uh, Generation Z are four years to 22. They spend about four hours a day on screens, but they feel more disconnected. Uh, some claim to be more depressed um, and, and, and just don't feel like they have quality relationships because we've told people it's called social media when really it's unsocial media. Right, because we ha it's a it's a it's a facade of connection. But the problem is on social media, you can be whoever you want to be. You can be cool guy 387, right, <laughs> or hip chick 283, and you can take on a persona and be who you want. And 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 you can have one social media for your church people and one social media. Like. That is what happens, right? And, and, and so we have these trends where um, we're, we're seeing less um, attendance in churches. Now, now, from a pastor's perspective, you might, I might step back and, and say something. This series was never aimed at, you should go to church because I said so because I'm a pastor. Like, it's, that's not, the point was to explore it, to say, what is the purpose? What is the, is there any purpose? Is there any value? Is it worthy of the time and the effort and the energy and all of that? Because th that's, that's where my concern, because if, if you have a bad experience at church, and if you ever go to a church, you will have a bad experience at church. Can anyone say amen? There are, I mean, because if you put that many screwed up people in one place long enough, like we, we did a message in this series, it's not for everybody. Well, who's it for? It's only for imperfect people. And we're all like, yeah, imperfect, that's me. But if you're imperfect, it means you're going to mess with somebody. And somebody's going to mess with you. Right? And this is the glory of it, that God uses all these screwed up, jacked up people to display his power to the nations, right? And so, and so we've, just been, we've just been exploring this um, and just saying, you know, if there's value in it, then, then I'll, I'll push through um, because I can tell you as, as a pastor, I don't have to do this. I, I mean, I have a degree. I could work. I could do other things. I have done. Um, but I do this because it's so purposeful. This is my part. I believe in the church. And, and I've been heard about every way you can be heard in a church. As, a, as, as a, an attender, I've been hurt by spiritual leaders. I've been hurt by other people who just attended. I've been hurt by other staff. I've been hurt by staff members that I hired. I've been hurt by church people that I was pastor. I've been hurt. But to me, what keeps me going is there's so much value. There's so much worth. If Jesus died to give us the church... We ought to live to protect it and take care of it. Right? And so we've been, been talking about this. And, and today, I just want to kind of look at, at, at our heart or my heart, share my heart. Hopefully, I wouldn't probably preach this everywhere, but, but for you, I have faith in you, right? Yeah, I believe in you. And I want to, I want to share my heart about, about really the generations. Um, Generation Z, as I said, ages four to 22 years, um, comprise 74 million people in the United States. So one-fourth of our population. It's one-fourth of our population. Um, as I said before, they spend four hours on screens, but they feel disconnected. Uh, a lot of them struggle with depression. Uh, statistics tell us more than 60% will actually leave 
the church. Um, two out of three who were raised in a house of a home of faith or raised in a church will actually leave the faith altogether. Less than three percent read their Bibles. Um, and, and what they're telling us is it will be the first post-Christian society that in, in, in America. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to Europe or if you've traveled the world, but a post-Christian society is, is where they, they, as a whole, the society has moved beyond faith in God. It's no longer seen as real or relevant or necessary or needed or significant. And, and so this is what, this is what they're, they're, they're telling us about Generation Z. And, and so to me, now I have three kids who are Gen Zers, right? And uh, we were talking the other night, and, um, and uh, I was talking to them, and, and we were telling them, look, you, you guys are going to have to be missionaries, I mean, to, to the people all around you, because you're going to be, whereas for me, an Xer, I grew up where a majority of people, even if they, even they didn't, weren't really what we call Christian people, they, they had just an understanding of God, and, 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 and that was cool, and like, I believe, yeah, I believe in God, you know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, my thoughts and prayers are with you too, you know, and, 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 but, now, but now we have a generation where the majority of the generation potentially is is not going to have faith at all. And so to me, this is something where the church, if we really have the heart of God, this is something where we have to say, hey, we have to do whatever we can do to, to impact the generations that are behind us. And a church that doesn't reach the generation's is a church that a church that has failed to reach the next generation is a church that has failed to be the church. Um, we don't have a lot of scripture from Jesus in in this age bracket of four to twenty two. Uh, he's born right, and 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 we know those scriptures. That's Christmas. We love Christmas. We sing cool songs, eat lots of unhealthy food, and get presents. Praise the Lord, right? And and so we have those scriptures, and then and then we know it jumps to when he's thirty and he starts his ministry uh, in the book of John. He his first miracle is turning water in into wine, which is one reason I love Jesus because his first miracle was all about keeping the party going. And so um, that's one reason I can follow him, right? And so, yeah, I want to, I, I don't think Jesus was exactly what we make him out to be, like stoic, non-expression, long flowing hair, um, speaking with a British accent, that's so weird. But I don't think that was Jesus at all, man. I think Jesus was cool, right? I think he was a lot of fun. And, 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 and when he's at the wedding and his mama comes to him and says, hey, they're out. Now, first of all, she knew Jesus could do some stuff. If anybody knew Jesus was born of a virgin, Mary knew, right? And so she knew she had seen him heal the family pet or whatever. I don't know. Walk across the mud puddle, you know. Um, I don't know what he did, but she had seen it, right? And, and so she comes to him and she says, they're out of wine. Do you have a parent that was like that? They just imply, they'd make a statement and expect you to know what you're supposed to do. We're going to church. Your room's not clean. You know what I mean? It's, it, and so she's like, they're out of wine. And so how Jesus knew, because Jesus turns around and says, what do you got to do with me, woman? 
Now, first of all, in their culture, that was respect, woman. In my culture, I'd been wearing my teeth around my neck had I said that to my mama. I'll slap you in the next week. I'll slap your face off. You want me to slap you in the next Go ahead, slap me in the next week. Apparently, I'll be there without a face. Um, but anyways, <laughs> this is why I got in a lot of trouble. And so... But she knew that Jesus could, could do something. And I think even though we don't have it in Scripture, he must have done some really cool things. But the one thing that we see in Scripture is in Luke chapter 2, uh, when Jesus, some theologians say 11, 12 years old, somewhere right in there. <clears throat> Luke chapter 2, verse 49, it said to them, uh, what had happened? Let me explain. What had happened was they had gone to Jerusalem for a feast and now they're traveling with their, with their family, their people back to their hometown. And about two days into that journey, Mary and Joseph have an awkward conversation because Joseph tells Mary, hey, have you seen Jesus? And she said, I thought he was with you. And he said, no, I thought he was with you. Maybe he was with John. So now we're Elizabeth. Now where is he with John? And, and all of a sudden they realize they have lost the Messiah. <laughs> you had one job. You had one job. God of the universe entrusted you two to raise his boy, and you lost Jesus. Like, it is one thing to lose your kids. It may be another thing to lose your kid in Walmart, but when you've been two days into a journey and just discover two days, that means they slept somewhere. He's having a sleepover with John, I guess. I don't... I would not want to stand before God and say, I lost your boy, the savior of the world. I couldn't keep up with him. <laughs> Anyways, they backtrack and they find him. And this is where we pick up in verse 49 of Luke chapter two. He said, why did you seek me? Didn't you know I must be about my father's business? I like this because first thing Jesus, I think this is why it's in there because you're never too young to be about God's business. And we need to understand when we're looking at the generation, we're not looking at a generation waiting on them to become something. We're looking at a generation that God has already put good stuff in. Can I remind you that Israel, Israel was in big trouble until a 17-year-old boy named David walked onto the battlefield? I'll just leave that there. But they did not understand the statement which he spoke. So he went with them to Nazareth and was subject to them, but his mother kept all these things in her heart. And it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and with man. Um, to us, we, we've been having some conversations in our pastor's meetings um, because my heart has been, hey, I want to make sure we're doing all that we can to disciple the generations. Now, I, I love, like, I love my parents' generation. I love, I was, I was, my, grand, my grandfather was, like, my favorite person. Um, when Julie and I got married, she said, you're going to have to find some friends that are our age, because all my friends were in their 50s and 60s, because to me, those were the most amazing people, because they had the best stories. They had the most wisdom. And so, so I, I, you know, so I love that generation, and, and, and I really, I, I love all the generations. Like, I love the millennials. I love my generation. I love, I love all of them. But, but when we've been talking in our pastor's meetings about how can we, in a well-rounded way, um, develop kids, we've come back to this scripture to say, look at this. If, if they grew, Jesus grew in wisdom that's intellectually but that, that's intellectually the right way. In other words, there's wisdom of the world and there's wisdom that comes from God. 
And, and so this is talking about intellectually how we guard our hearts and our minds. We renew our minds. So, so as we're growing, we want to grow in wisdom. Um, and then it says, and he grew in stature. And that, that looks like the physical person, um, but it's not just the physical person. It's the person on the inside. Because you'll never stand on the outside until you stand on the inside. If you don't have character on the inside, you can't stand on the outside. Are you with me? And, and so we, we, want, we want to develop them. And, and part of that development is spiritual disciplines. And then favor with God, that's spirituality. And I think the most spiritual thing we can do is to help people discover their purpose and find out that God made them on purpose for a purpose and put them here. And he has put an eternity in the hearts of men. And, and God has a plan for every life. And then favor with men, that's relationships. And I'll tell you, parents, you need to pray hard for who your kids hang out with. Right? And, and you need to, and I'm sorry to say this, sometimes you just need to pick their friends for them right? In a loving way. And, but you know what I'm saying? But you need to say, oh, I don't know about that. So, so favor with man relationships. And so I just want to tell you this, these are the things we're doing and we're working on, um, because we are working to get better. And I love pastor Jessica and all that she does and pastor Dub and all, and all that he is now doing. Uh, but we've been strategizing and we're going to keep strategizing, um, because we want to do, here's what we know. Culture is getting better at discipling generations every day. And we want to make sure we get better at discipling generations every day. And so in kids ministry, these are the things that like if your kids in kids ministry today, Pathway Kids, number one, they're, they're having a, they start with engaging worship. They have age specific teaching. Um, they have scripture memorization. We're teaching them the word. Can I tell you a lot of the scriptures that I quote today, I learned as a kid right? I learned as a kid and they have fun activities. Now we always, I remember when Pastor Jessica took over like gosh, seven or eight years ago when she came on staff and I said, she said, what's so important to you about kids ministry? I said, I want them to have fun and learn about Jesus. Because if they're not having fun, they're not going to learn about Jesus. <laughs> so we got to have fun and, and learn about Jesus. So we have fun activations or activities. Um, and then life groups. We, we put, especially our older kids, we put them in life groups so they can uh, process and talk and share life and receive ministry and prayer. We have life groups from kids, now life groups and students. We're starting that and now life groups for adults because we believe that is the way we grow. That is the way we are changed. That is one of the ways that God matures us and works in our life. We have people to spur us on, gives us uh, uh, maturity and stability and vitality. All those things uh, from Ephesians 4 come, come through life groups. And, and can I share a, a burden just as a pastor with you and parents? This is, I want you to kind of lean in and I'm going to love you by telling you the truth. My biggest concern about live streaming is not that people aren't going to hear me preach. Like I'm, I'm kind of over myself. I've, I've looked in the mirror. I'm not that impressive, right? If you're impressed by me, it's because you don't know me. <laughs> what I'm concerned about is when parents stay home and watch the live stream or stay home and think, I'll catch it on YouTube, their children aren't receiving ministry. See, I was raised in, like, I went, I had a drug problem. I was drugged to church every time there was anything going on. If they were washing the windows, I was drug up there to sing just as I am and praise the Lord while we're cleaning the church. I had a drug problem, but it is it has produced a lot of greatness in me because my foundation is so strong because I was taught so much 
because there wasn't, I couldn't stay home. Like we didn't stay. There'd been a live stream. I'll tell you, my dad said, no, you still going to church. I care about no live stream. You know, I can tell you what he was. <laughs> tell you what you're not going to do. You're not going to stay home and watch some live stream when we can go to the house of the Lord. David said, I was glad when I went to the house of the Lord, not when I played it on YouTube. I can tell you what my dad would have said about that. Um, anybody have a dad like that? Praise the Lord. Thank God for your dad. Amen. But, but my concern really is that when we stay home and we say, well, I'll catch it on YouTube. Number one, there's a corporate anointing that the body of Christ produces when we come together. We felt it during worship. A lot of people streaming today probably didn't worship in their living rooms or cars or wherever they were. Maybe they were joined with heart, but they weren't standing. They, they didn't experience what we experienced, although it's a service and we're glad to offer it. Amen? Um, but there's something different when you're in the house. We had a person two weeks ago tell a staff member, she said, I, I've, I've been discouraged lately. And she said, I realized I've been staying home watching the live stream and I haven't been coming into the house of the Lord. And she said, I came into God's house. And she said, it's really different being here than just watching it. And I said, yeah, now we want to offer it because you're out of town, you're sick, your kids are sick, whatever the case may be. We, we want it there. Uh, we want to be in that space. We, 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 we have people who are saved on our live stream and send us connection cards from the Internet. And so we thank God for technology, but I'm talking to you as a pastor. We're having us a conversation. And my concern is that while that's a, a tremendous blessing, we need to have a heart about, well, what about our kids being in God's house? What about our kids? And so um, let me talk to you about students really quickly. Um, um, we, we've been talking about this lately and doing some restructuring and, and things in, in our student ministry. And I want to encourage you, if you have students, to get them there um, because God is, is, is setting us up to do some tremendous things. But we were talking about this. Number one, we want them to have fun. We want them to have a fun experience when they hang out with us. Again, if they're not having, hey, do you know why the culture works? Let me help you with this. Sin is fun. Don't look at me like, oh, Pastor. Oh, all right, get delivered of your religiosity just a minute. If sin wasn't fun, nobody would do it. My job be easy because I'd just say, don't do it. It's not any fun. But the problem is sin is fun. That's why people want to do it. If sin was like Brussels sprouts, very few people get involved in that. But sin's like ice cream. If you don't like ice cream, I'm praying for you. Um, but, but culture, I mean, it's fun. It's, it's accepting. It's be, oh, just be true to you. Live your own. I mean, it's, it's and so we want to have fun. Uh, engaging worship. We want that uh, working. And then uh, we're working on ways to teach scripture memory to teenagers. We're going to try to trick them into it. Not really. We're trying to motivate them. Um, and a lot of them will, but we want to try to motivate all of them. We have life groups in student ministry where they have their people to break out, um, to do life with the same. Um, here's seven key themes that we're going to be working to get into the hearts of our teenagers. Uh, every year we're going to visit these in some way, in some creative way. But, but number one is authentic faith. Um, spiritual priorities or spiritual disciplines, the importance of God's word and prayer. Uh, moral boundaries. Meaningful friendships, wise choices, putting others first, 
and honoring God-given authority. And so you may be sitting there, oh, I want my, I want my kids. Well, get them there. <laughs> Party happens every Wednesday at 6 o'clock. You know, they can come for fun and hang out, and, and, then, and then hopefully God will change their lives. And two of the foundations that we're really working to get into all of our kids and our teenagers is the idea that, that Jesus came not to establish a church but to expand a kingdom. Um, or not to establish religion, I should say, but to expand a kingdom. And I think the church has been really good at establishing religion, but we need to be really good about expanding a kingdom. We need to understand that perspective. And then also that the, the resurrection is the foundation of our faith, not the Bible. Now, I'm not minimizing the Bible. Please understand, I love God's word. But they, you can get on YouTube and, and in about five minutes have someone really smart undermine the Bible. And when you've just told people, you believe the Bible because the Bible is the Bible and it's God's word, so you believe it, it's all true, and it is. I believe all that. But the problem is, you can go to YouTube now. Used to, you had to go to a lecture to hear like an atheist perspective or agnostic's perspective or, or someone who wanted to uh, malign or undermine the word of God. Now you just click. And so if I'm hungry for information and I'm just out there clicking, I can watch somebody undermine scripture in a matter of minutes. And once that happens, if this is the foundation of my faith, now I'm questioning everything. Because I've been told it's either all true or none of it's true. And once I wonder if a part of it's true, then could any of it be true? But the resurrection can be proven historically. I don't believe the Bible. I, I should say it this way. I don't believe the resurrection because in the Bible... I believe the Bible because the resurrection. That the resurrection is really the foundation. That's what our faith is built on. That a man came, his name was Jesus, he predicted his own death and his own resurrection and pulled both of them off, just like he said. You do that, I'll read your book. Right? And so we're, we're working to teach, to teach that. And then we're also working with our young adults. This is something we started several months ago. I had a burden... I said, I want to reach because to me, what I saw was the church is not doing really well in reaching 18. I'm just saying at large, it's not about criticism. It's about observation. And I'm just as much at fault, if not more at fault than anybody else. But I felt like we're not doing enough to reach 18 to 29 year olds. What the Bible tells us, 18 to 29 year olds, 39% of them today claim no religious affiliation. They claim no faith. Nearly 40% of those 18 to um, 29 claim no faith in God at all. And what I realize is I think the church has been saying, hey, when y'all grow up, you'll become like us. And so, so to me, I thought, why, why are we not doing a good job reaching them? And what I realized is, well, church, number one, has not been a very authentic place. Let me say it another way. We haven't allowed them to see a struggle. We, we, in a way, because religion puts a pressure on you to perform. So when it's a religious system, a religious culture, then I feel like if I admit I've failed or sinned or made a mistake, then, then I'm threatening the whole ecosystem and I'm threatening my place in it. So I can never struggle. I always have to be, I'm blessed and highly favored. Oh, I'm doing good. Oh, I'm blessed. Oh, the Lord is so good. And he is, but, but you're also, you have issues. You have hard days. You struggle. You make mistakes. You sin. You fall short. We all do. 
The reason I get to be the pastor is simply because I am more screwed up than you. So whatever you're messed up in, I probably got experience in it. But, but we need to be an authentic place of authentic people, not people putting on church faces and game masks and putting on a show scared that someone might see inside and we might lose our place in our religious society, but to say, no, no, we're, we're all just messed up people pursuing Jesus, living out his purpose, right? That's, it's, it's come one, come all, we all got our issues. Yet we're judging people because they're trying to determine or confused about or choosing another orientation or sexual orientation that's different than us when the, when, when the latest statistic is nearly 50% of pastors are addicted to pornography. Well, well, why is it we're preaching against this when we can't get free of this? Like maybe we ought to just be God's children come together and say, we're all screwed up. We're just trying to figure it out. So, and by the way, it, the statistics get higher after the past, about uh, 60 to 70% of men in church struggle with pornography. And the reason they can't get free is they can't admit they have a problem. And now we're seeing nearly 30% of females in churches who struggle with pornography and they can't get free because they can't admit they have a problem because then they'd lose their place in the religious society because they'd be a sinner and we don't sin because we're born of God. Yeah. So we haven't created a very authentic space. And, and a, let me say another, an inauthentic space is never a safe space. So if we want a safe space for people to explore faith in Jesus, it's got to be an authentic culture. Grace, the reason you have grace is because grace allows two things to grow, righteousness and unrighteousness. And you need the unrighteousness to grow in a non-condemning atmosphere so you can deal with it. So we, we haven't been authentic. We haven't allowed questions. We've said when you can behave like me, look like me, talk like me, and believe like me, you can belong to us. And they're over here saying, I don't know if I like the way you do things. You know, I don't, I don't, maybe I don't wear my hair that way, or maybe I don't want to act that way. I don't want to talk that way. I don't even understand this. And we're saying, well, when y'all grow up, y'all be the church. So we're actually, we'll say, be not conformed to this world while trying to conform everyone to our version of religiosity. I feel like it is too. I'm doing my best. And so another thing is it's not been relevant. You know, it's just as a whole, it's, they, they come and it doesn't apply to my life. It doesn't apply to where I'm at. It's it's not, it's not relevant. And so to me, we're, we're doing something about this. And our young adult ministry is actually growing, but, but we provide safe gathering spaces. We rent a coffee shop once a month and pay for coffee for the first, I think, 10 young adults that come through. It cost us money. We gave budget to it because I said, if there's, they may not feel safe in a church, but a coffee shop seems less threatening. And so we actually rent a coffee shop out and, and that's what we call them. Nowadays, they have all the, the Gucci coffees. <laughs> Never mind. Anyway, so, um, and then uh, relevant life groups, we, we want them. By the way, we need, we need life group leaders for young adults. Um, and, then, and then we invite them just to serve alongside of us, to make a difference with us. Um, generation Z is actually a very purpose-driven generation. 
they want to know what their purpose is and they love causes and purposes that they believe in. And the culture is doing everything. Have y'all noticed, like we, we were out of town in Arkansas a few weeks ago and we hated a, co- a, a taco shop um, that was amazing. But for all, every taco you bought, it helped provide food for someone in a third world country. Now, first of all, I love tacos. But I felt so good about eating all those tacos, knowing I I just went back for more. I said, I got to feed the children. I believe the children are the future. Oh, give me another taco, Jesus. Woo! We saved the tacos. Anyways. Um, With the time I have left, I want to give you five, just five things really quickly. It won't take me long. Five things that I think we can do as we invest and you could say it would work investing in others, but it really work also in investing in the generations that are behind us. Because I do believe a church that fails to reach the next generation has failed to be the church. I do believe that. So Mark chapter 10, um, it says, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on, but the disciples rebuked him. And when Jesus saw it, he became indignant. Now, time out. We didn't talk about that. So here's what was happening. People were bringing the kids up into the church service, and, and, and the leaders were saying, no, 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 no. Now, it's not the play. We need the kids in the back while we have church for the grown-ups." And then Jesus got mad. Right? And this tells us something about Jesus. Look at how passionate he is. Here's what Jesus said. I'll stop the church service to take care of the little ones. I'll tell you the day, and and I don't mean this in a bad way, but the day we can't get people to serve the little ones, I'll play a video in here and I'll go in there and preach the gospel. They were, they were, Pastor Jessica, she said one of the challenges we were having with the birthday was no one wanted to miss the birthday experience because we're just doing one experience at Mod Cobb, everybody together. And I totally get that. Like, I don't want to miss it either. But she's like, because of that, it's hard to find people because we got all the kids coming at once. We've got hundreds of kids that are going to be there. And she says, it's hard to find people to serve the kids while the church serves going on. And, and so I just said, well, if we can't get enough people, the worshiping team and I will go serve the kids and we'll just play the videos. And she said, really? I said, oh, yeah. Absolutely. I'm not going to neglect the kids. We got to reach that generation. Are you with me, church people? Are you with me? By the way, do you know why we're here? Because the generation before reached us. So, So he said, let the little children come to me and don't hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as... Did you see that? He said this, they're heirs just like us. They don't have to grow up to inherit the kingdom. It's theirs already. Then he said this, truly I tell you, anyone who who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took his, took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, blessed them. Do you see what he just said? Do you see what he said? He said, not only are they, are they heirs to the kingdom, you could learn something from them. That's what he just said. That's why I love Jesus. He said, no, if you don't receive the kingdom like one of these. Wow. And then he blessed them. Um, I call this message, bring them here. Bring them here. I'm going to give you five things, but I'm going to pray because we're almost through and I haven't prayed yet. 
God, we just really want your heart. So in this moment, speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me give you five things. Number one, believe in them. Believe in them. Don't, don't ask them to believe like you. You believe in them. Believe in their potential. Believe in what God has put inside of them. Um, I know the, the scripture says, you know, um, honor your father and your mother. I, I, think, I think when it comes to believing and it comes to relationships, I think honor is, is, is really such a cornerstone of relationships. And, 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 and I know the scripture says, honor your father and mother's first commandment with promise. I understand that. And I've taught my kids all that. I, you need to know this one verse. But Paul also said to the Ephesians, you know, fathers, don't provoke your sons to wrath. And I think the number one way that we provoke our, our sons or our daughters to wrath is by calling them to a by, by calling them to rules without relationship. And, and I've spent a lot of time counseling with a lot of people and usually they're struggling. And what I find out is they were in a religious home that, that was really good about enforcing rules, but it wasn't good about having relationship. And I, I, I fail as a parent. I'm, I wouldn't, I don't, if you've noticed, I hadn't written any parenting books. I don't even do any parenting series. Now, before I had kids, I was an expert. <laughs> I could have told you exactly what you need to do with your children. Uh, but now I have three and every day I'm just trying to figure it out myself. But I have learned that, that the way that you really lead your children, because you can't, you can't control them. When they're two, you can't control them. Have y'all noticed that? They're going to throw a fit right in the middle of Chick-fil-A because you didn't get them an ice cream cone and you can't make them stop, right? And so um, I've learned you can't control them, but what I have learned is you can't connect with them. And I try never to punish my children until I pull back and say, I want to connect with God's heart for them. And then what I really try to do, and I'm, I wouldn't say I've succeeded this all the time, is instead of enforcing rules, I try to figure out what's going on in their heart. And when I see an attitude that I don't think is good or godly, then the conversation isn't punishment. The conversation is, help me understand what's going on with you. Help me understand what's going on with your heart. And I've even sent them when we can't figure it out, when they're like, I don't know. And I'm like, I don't know either. Then I'll say, hey, take your journal, go to your room and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to tell you what's going on in your heart. Then come back and share that with me so I can partner with you and the Holy Spirit on whatever's going on in your heart. Because I want to push them to God and get them to hear from God. And a lot of times, especially at these ages, I make them come up with their own punishments. And they're usually worse than what I'd come up with. I mean, honestly, they're like, yeah, dad, the dude. I'm like, wow, I wouldn't have thought of that. Good idea. Um, <laughs> but I think we need to believe. Second Corinthians 5.16, Paul said this. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Do you see that? Because we're people of the spirit. So we stopped assessing and evaluating based from a human point of view. They said at once they, we thought Christ was merely human. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone, a new life has begun. See, here's, here's what Paul is saying. Honor is seeing who they are without stumbling over who they aren't. That as believers, we don't look at just what we see on the outside. We look at what God has put on the inside. 
And we shouldn't criticize a generation. We should call something out of them. That should be our role is, is you know, a lot of the, the problem that I see in, in our culture between generations is you kind of have the boomers and the Xers and they're criticizing the millennials and then they're putting the Zers with the millennials and then the millennials are criticizing, you know, the Xers and the boomers and they didn't know what they were talking about and the Zers are over here like, well, I don't want to be a millennial and I don't know about these people. I don't connect with them. And there's all the criticism between the generations. And what if we just stopped and said, hey, what's God put in you? And I'm not going to criticize. I'm going to call out. I'm going to honor. I'm going to believe in what God has done in your life. Here's the second thing. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for them that they would walk in, in God's truth and not their own truth. Because this is a big thing with culture. Like, oh, just live your truth. Listen, you can live it. It doesn't make it true. It just makes it what you live. You can live a lie. It doesn't make it true. There, there's, in, in culture today, everybody claims to have truth. Jesus claimed to be truth. I am the way, the truth. And, and we just need to pray. They come to a place of him, play, a place of relationship with him, that they would know truth, that they would believe in Jesus and belong to a family and become a disciple and build God's kingdom. Isaiah 54, 13. Uh, this is the verse I pray over my kids every day. And I've started praying it over all, all, of, our, all of our children, all God's children. Uh, but but it's, it says, your children will be taught by the Lord and great will be the peace of your children. Now I'll pray this every day. God, I just pray today that you would teach my kids. God, it can be through me. It can be through their mom. It can be through a friend, an uncle, a family member. It can be through a teacher, a coach. It, it can be through anybody. But today, I want them to hear your voice. I want them to be taught by your Holy Spirit. I want you to guide and deliver. And it's, I just start praying. And then it says, your children will be taught by the Lord, and great will be their peace. That word is shalom. And it means peace, but it also means well-being, wholeness, completeness, not lacking anything, healthy, prosperous. It means all the... And I'll just start praying all those different things over them every, every day, every day, every day. And all I'm saying is we should pray. Listen, this is one of the things we do. If, if we, I would love, here's my goal this year and the next year. I want to see over 100 people at all of our prayer experiences because a church will never be stronger than its prayer life. It's, it will never be stronger than its prayer meeting. And if we really say we want God to change our world, we're going to have to pray. It's come to that. I had an elder one time, he moved away, but every time I say, guys, let's pray, he'd say, has it come to that? <laughs> Sometimes as Christians, that's the way we are. As we go, oh my God, we got to pray. I hadn't thought about that yet. You know, we've tried all these other things. Maybe we should pray now. And when I, I just have such a burden for prayer. We pray for our ministries. We pray for our pastor. We pray for our generation. We pray for our family. We pray. If you've never been to one, we've been praying for you. Why don't you come? You can pray for somebody else, right? But, but Tuesdays at 6, Thursdays at 6, and Saturdays at 9, I've just got a vision to see hundreds at those prayer gatherings. If we're, it, listen, we need to decide. Are we going to change the world or play church? Just got to decide. Do one of the two, but you can't do both. So, so then, here, here's number three. I got to go. I've got two, two minutes and 42 seconds. Look at your neighbor and say, he ain't going to make it. <laughs> Just tell him he ain't going to make it. All right, so believe in them. Pray for them. Here's the third thing. Listen to them. Listen to them. James said this way, James 119, know this. He said, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak, and slow to anger. Our culture is just the opposite. We are fast to speak, and fast to anger, and slow to listen. 
I think the truth of it is before we can reach anyone, we have to hear them. Right? We, and we, we can't just listen to respond. We actually need to listen to understand. Like, this will help you in all your relationships, your marriage, everything. I just set you free right there. Next time they come, listen to understand instead of listening to respond. And I think, I think we, could, we could do well to listen. If you want to connect with a person, you don't stand over here and say, hey, come over here and we'll connect. You don't stand on your side of the line. Hey, you, you come over here and we'll connect. No, you, you step across the line and you connect. Well, that's what Jesus did. He did it well. The religious people hated him for it. But he was always hanging out with publicans that'd be tax collectors and sinners. He was always hanging out with the wrong crowd. But he was one that would, think about the woman at the well. Jesus should have been hanging out with her. Number one, there was a racial issue. She was a Samaritan. Number two, it was the wrong time of day to be at the well. It was in a place that he, he wasn't supposed to be, a way that he wasn't supposed to go, hanging out with a woman he wasn't supposed to hang out with. Yet he did all of that to connect with her because he wasn't going to stand on, on his side and say, hey, when you get right and get over here, we'll talk. He said, no, I'll go looking for you. Remember Zacchaeus? You remember him? Yeah, Zacchaeus, a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree. Yeah, right? See, you know where we learned that? Kids' church. Because mama brought us to church, somebody. That's how we know that song. Anyways, but you remember Zacchaeus? He was a tax collector, meaning he had to get saved just to be upgraded to sinner. Because tax collectors were worse than sinners. That's why they're, they're, there's a delineation between the two every time. Sinners and the tax collectors. The sinners, oh, tax collectors. Right? Because they had sold their soul to the devil. And I mean, it was, it was bad. And so Zacchaeus climbs up in a sycamore tree because he wanted to see Jesus. And Jesus is walking by. And this is what Jesus says. Zacchaeus, I'm going to go to your house. Notice he did not say, Zacchaeus, I want you to come to my house. He said, no, I'll go to where you're at. I'll go to where you live. I'll go to where you're doing life. I'll step over this line and I'll go to where you're at. And you know how Zacchaeus responded in that meeting? I'm going to give it all back. All the money I've cheated out of people, I'm going to give to the poor. I'm going to give people, if I've done anything wrong, I'm going to give the money back to them. And Jesus said, salvation came to your house. Why? Because salvation came to his house. He didn't stand at his house and ask for him to come to salvation. He went, he connected where he was. He went to where he was at. And I think, especially generationally, we've got to say, hey, what's going on with you? Where are you at? Help me understand. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen. Uh, here's the fourth thing. We can mentor them. Titus 2, verse 2 says, teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect, to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. <laughs> Listen, women, I'm going to tell you straight up, put the bottle down. I didn't say anything about the men, so y'all are good. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I did not say that. Need to get saved in here. Instead, they should teach others. 
What is good? Verse four, these older women, look, must train the younger women. Now, said instead they should teach others what's good. That's a they. So it's really referring to men and women. And then it breaks it out into, into women to say those other women or the older women must train the younger to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and pure, to work in their homes, to do good, to be submissive. And so they'll not bring shame on the word of God. Here's what Titus is telling us, that every generation has a responsibility to mentor the next generation. Let me say it again. You can write it down and pray about it and you'll find out I'm right. That every generation has a responsibility to mentor the next generation. That we have a responsibility to mentor the next generation. Let me, can, I, can I tell you something? My heart breaks every time we're short of serve team in children's ministry and student ministry. Because my thought is if there's one place we should never be short, it's right there. And let me back up and say something else. <clears throat> we should not expect, now just brace yourself. We should not expect the young mothers who have been with the children all week to be the volunteers and the serve. Are you with me? We should, as an older generation, to say, hey, I had little ones too. Why don't you go on the worship experience and let me hang out with Junior for just a minute? There may not be anyone at the birthday party, but we're still going to have it. <laughs> but we should, listen, can, can I tell you this, that Gen, Generation Z is actually, they like mentorship. Remember, they feel because we've taught them social media is social when really it's anything but. It's like anti-social media. It's, it's a facade of connection. And so they're looking for connection. They're looking for authentic and genuine connection. And so they're very, listen, they want to be mentored. They just don't want to be managed. They want to be mentored. They just don't want to be managed. Um, in fact, mentoring is one of their preferred ways of learning. Someone investing in them is a preferred way that, that they learn. And so they're, they're very open. Now, if you want to mentor somebody and you're like, I don't know how to mentor people. I've never been a mentor. Let me help you. If you can do five things, write these down. Number one, share your experience. That means your victories and your loss, your wins and your losses. Just share your experience. Number two, have a positive attitude. Number three, just offer some guidance. Number four, value people. And number five, just practice what you teach so that you live an authentic life. You can mentor someone. Um, our first life group we ever had for college-age kids was led by a, a couple, uh, Mark and Debbie Raspberry. They've since moved back home. Uh, they retired and moved, and, and we missed them. They were such a, a great part of our church while they were able to be here, and they may be watching online. I don't know. Um, wonderful people. But, but they were not what we would call young adults or, or any. They, they were older in their life. But they said, we have a heart for college-age students. And so on Sundays, Sunday afternoons, they would open their homes, or their home. I don't know how many homes they had. We're going to say one, right? They would open their home, and they would, college kids would come and hang out at their home. Debbie is a fantastic cook. Like, she's, woo, she's got the anointing. Um, and so she, she will cook, and, and they would come over and hang out and eat, and they'd let them use their laundry, uh, washing machine if they needed to do laundry. Um, and they would just talk with them and share with them and pray with them. And that was all they really did, right? 
And it was like the most successful life group we had. These, these college-age kids would flock to them because it's like going home to mom and dad's in a way. And they would just go home and listen and pray and eat, right, and take a nap. And it was incredible. And here's what I'm saying is, remember, they're looking for authenticity. You don't even have to understand the culture if you can just love them. Are, are you with me? Here's the last thing. Uh, help them find their purpose. I mean, I think this is what you can do for everyone is just help them help people. That's why we have church. I want you to find your purpose. Ephesians 1.11 says, In him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Um, we've been predestined according to his purpose. That all of, There's no accidents. Regardless of how we came into this planet, we are here. And we are here because God has a plan and God has a purpose for us. You, you were made on purpose, fearfully and wonderfully made, the Bible says. That they, you, God knitted together your inward parts, the psalmist said. That all of us were formed by God and all of us were put in this earth and we all have a purpose. I think the most fulfilling thing in life is when you can figure out what it is. I think the greatest thing that you can, why do we have, you know why we have a serve team? Not because we need volunteers to do church. We have a serve team. Because we believe the greatest way you serve, the greatest way you help people is to help them find purpose. The people who are the happiest in this world do not have the fewest problems. They have the greatest sense of purpose. And I think the best thing you can do for this generation because they are looking for purpose is to help them find their purpose. Jeremiah 29, 11, everybody knows it. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans are good and, and, and not of harm to give you hope, to give you a future. So one verse that says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Have you ever thought about this regardless of who you are? Think about this. Take this one home. If nothing else I said makes sense. Take this home. This morning before you woke up, God had thoughts about you that were good. And whether you know it or not, he has a plan for you. He is futuristic. He has a plan for you that is good. The God of the universe knows your name and he has good thoughts. Regardless of what you did last week or last night, he woke up. You woke up today. He didn't wake up. He doesn't sleep or slumber according to the word of God. But you woke up. You woke up and he had good thoughts. Good thoughts about you. Good plans for you. I think it's the greatest way we help people is God has good thoughts and good, plan, good, good plans for them. Can we just help them to have good thoughts and good plans for them? Um, I, think, I think when we're trying to discover our purpose, the first, the first challenge is we have to find ourselves. And when I mean find ourselves, that means we have to discover why are we here. And, and for me, since God is the creator, then he is the one who intentioned and purposed us so our purpose has to be found in him, right? So the first step is finding our purpose, right? The first step is finding ourselves. The, the second step then is losing ourselves. There's a maturity in between. Like there's one thing to know your purpose. There's another thing to be lost in it. When, when I'm bigger than my purpose, then I just have a career. When my purpose is bigger than me, then I have a calling. Like, that's my prayers. I want my, I, I want my purpose to be so big. It's so much bigger than me. I'll never quit. I'll never give up. It's like an it's like a anchor. It holds me because no matter what happens, I know what I'm called to do. I know what my purpose is. I know what God's plan for me is. I know his thoughts for me are good. 
And to me, this is the way we help people. This is, this is, this is the way we serve. This is the way we love people. It's the way we help the next generation is we simply help them find themselves, find the purpose of God, find God's purpose for them. And then we help them to get lost in God's purpose instead of lost in something else. Listen, I believe in us, church. I believe in you. I believe we can change the world. I believe we can make a difference. And I believe one of the ways we do that is by investing in the generations that are to come and that we never think, oh, I'm doing good, everything's great. No, 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 because you have kids and you have grandkids. And, and even if those kids and grandkids are known, you're going to have great grandkids. And even if you don't have those, somebody else has kids and grandkids. But, but we are called to make a difference in everyone's life. And, and let's not be guilty of going across the world to make a difference and lose a generation in our backyard. You can stand. I'm done.